fans without pants. What's up, everybody? You're listening to another episode of Batman's Without Pants Podcast. We're on episode number 49, just one away from number 50. My name is Tim. I'm going to be your host for this episode because, unfortunately, Dane's having some audio trouble with his microphone where it sounds like he's broadcasting deep below in the back cave. So it's just going to be me and Rob for this one. So how's it going, Rob? Not too bad. That just sounds like uh, Dane's back cave is just a little bit farther away than the uh, rest of our uh, bat caves are. Yeah, it's like we each have our own different bat cave that we're broadcasting from. Where <laughs> one of us is from the Nolan trilogy bat cave, the Tim Burton bat cave, or the Adam West bat cave. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a good pre question. Uh, if since you mentioned all those bat caves, if you could pick your your version of bat cave from any part of the Batman universe, what would be your bat cave you'd be broadcasting from or be operating out of? That's a really good question, actually. But you know what? I'm just going to go with an obvious choice for me, the Batcave from Batman Beyond. Because <laughs> it takes the awesome Batcave from the animated series, but since it's in the future, it has all those different villain costumes and trophies that Bruce has collected over the year. It just makes it even more awesome. So I can see myself spending hours down there just solving cases, playing video games, or surfing online on the big Bat computer, surrounded by all that awesome stuff. So yeah, I think I'd go with that one. Nice. Uh, mine's going to be a Batcave that some people may not pick because they don't want to really reopen the book, but I'm going to go with the Frank Miller Batman and Robin Batcave, just because I remember opening that issue up where Dick finally gets to go to the Batcave and it just folds out into like this big panoramic uh, view of the Batcave and it's like a, a quad level Batcave, you know, all the different levels and just you know the giant pennies there and be a, a really cool Batcave to hang out in. So that would be mine. You know what? I haven't opened those books in a long time, so I really don't remember what the actual Batcave in that series looks like. But I do remember it kind of being massive, because one thing that sticks out of my mind from that story is when Bruce forced Dick to survive down there. To, do you have to say something like, survive by eating rodents or something like that? I don't know. Yeah. 
having to eat like a rat or something like that. I don't think I would do that to my robins at all, but <laughs> <laughs> like having them live in some inhumane way. It's like you think this little kid's gonna part be your partner in crime. I mean, I don't know what eventually happens to where Dick does become his partner as Robin in that story because I didn't make it past I think issue two or three. So one of these days, I think I'm gonna have to go back and just finish reading it just to see how it all ended up. But uh, like just thinking about it, it's not sounding too appealing though. It's all the negative things I keep hearing about it, just on how Batman acts and treats people. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's a beautiful to look at. I think I spent more time yeah. looking at the book. I mean, I I did finish it, but uh, every once in a while I'll pick it up just to look at it for the beautiful Jim Lee art. And uh, on my wall right now is a poster uh, of uh, Batman and Robin, uh, where you would have like the. Uh, variant cover of Batman up against the city skylight, then the variant would be Robin. Well, this is the combined of the two. It's a beautiful to look at, but um, I think maybe uh, where they had like a rewrite or a, a rescript, maybe just kind of erase all of uh, Frank Miller's uh, <laughs> dialogue and maybe give it to a Scott Snyder or, you know, uh, uh, somebody else to uh, rewrite. And uh, the it's already been filmed. You just have to get the... Uh, somebody to redo the voices. <laughs> yeah, I'd be awesome to have somebody to do it. I mean, Tim and Jim Lee are ending Superman Unchained in a little bit, so just have them start rewriting the dark, or all-star Batman and Robin. <laughs> See, there you go. Yeah, like you said, that uh, the first two ish- covers for those issues, those make an awesome poster when you put them together. That's like one of my all-time favorites, really. Oh, yeah, and I love the expression of uh, Robin on that. Uh, is you know wide eyed and grinning, and then in contrast, Batman's face is like completely blacked yeah. out in, in shadow. I think it's just it's beautiful. I'm just I'm looking at it right now. So yeah, it's awesome. It's even like the old school Robin style, you know, with the little footies and the <laughs> yeah, which that really kind of surprised me. Not that it was in the New Fifty Two or anything, but when they were talking about doing that, I thought, oh, they're probably gonna you know maybe uh, update his costume, but it you know. There he was with the booties and everything like that. And it's and Jim Lee drew it beautifully, so... Yeah, it still works. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, maybe soon I'll end up reading all of it, if anything, just for the art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess we can go ahead and get into the main thrust of our topics for the show. But before we do, as always, we've got to continue on with our minute-by-minute minute Dark Knight Rises commentary. Are you ready, Rob, for minutes four through five? Can you imagine what's going to happen within that minute? Uh I'm riveted. <laughs> I, we had to wait almost two weeks to find out what happens in this plan. I'm, let's just stop talking. Let's get into it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the suspense is killing me. <laughs> so, however you're watching this movie on a Blu-ray, DVD, a download, on a DVR recording you taped on HBO or something, <laughs> <laughs> or VHS, even though I know they never released it on VHS, maybe you're someone who likes it really old school, got the DVD or Blu-ray, and then recorded it to a VHS tape. <laughs> very true. I can't imagine why anyone would do that, but <laughs> you never know. Maybe there is someone out there. But go ahead and sync up to minute number four, and I'll start the countdown. Three, two, one, go. And we're starting off with the plane. <laughs> Seeing soldiers. I'm wondering if we're actually going to see Dane uh, break out of his cuffs and start, re- start wreaking havoc on the plane, but... Still got to go through some dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> More talking. That was just a that was just a cool scene in the movie theater, even though we had seen it ahead of time. Yeah, it really um, was. Hey, he does break out. What do you know? <laughs> Here comes the League of Shadows. 
the League of Shadows. I mean, this was especially when you see the behind-the-scenes features, how they filmed this. It's like, you just gain more appreciation for this whole sequence. Oh, yeah. And as much as they filmed and got... Was it Scotland that they were filming was, over? Yeah. And Bane has had... Throughout the whole movie, he had some awesome dialogue, but in the beginning, too, <laughs> were some of his best lines. And there's our minute. The and I was just getting ready to say something. It's gonna, we're going to have to wait. Sorry, Rob, you can't say it now. The minute's up. <sighs> plane is hanging from the big white plane, so you have to find out what happens next time. Because <laughs> I'm sure, like I <laughs> joked about in the past, someone out there is experiencing the Dark Knight Rises for the first time by our minute-by-minute commentaries. <laughs> you would think we would cram a lot into this minute, but we're really not. <laughs> <laughs> So make sure you're back in two weeks for the exciting conclusion, maybe, of the plane sequence. I don't think so, but you never know. <laughs> uh, who am I kidding? Everyone who's listening to this has seen The Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> but with that, we'll go ahead and move on to our feature topic for this episode, which is going to be on Justice League War and the premiere that happened in L.A. last night as we're recording this episode. Yeah, I had the privilege of attending another one of the DC animated premieres at the Paley Center in L.A., and they're always so much fun to go to. I mean, I'm just so thankful every time I get an email from Dustin asking if I'm able to cover it for it since it's in L.A., and I'm not right around the corner, but I'm close enough to go down there and just to cover it because it's lots of fun. Just getting to meet the actors and then this, the crew members who work on it who I've respected for so many years on their past work on DC animated shows. I mean, getting a chance to meet one of my heroes and Bruce Timm was amazing for me. And now this time I got to meet James Tucker, who was really cool. And he was another guy who I loved his, his work on, like, Batman Beyond, Justice League, Brave and the Bulls. So it was really cool to meet him. Just awesome experience. I just love it every time. But for this one oh, – I'm sorry, Rob, go ahead. I do have a question. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some other of our listeners don't know. How uh, – an intelligent question – how do you get to uh, attend uh, the press or get to attend the premiere and be able to get up to uh, do that? I've always been kind of curious to say, wow, how does Tim get to do that? I was kind of curious how that how that comes about. Is there a process you have to go through or or is that part of your actual day job? <laughs> I wish it was a day job, but <laughs> you, like, I'm not getting paid for it now, but I'd still jump at the opportunity to do it every time. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know the exact particulars, how um, Dustin got in contact, I guess, with the PR people at WB, but they usually send him an email letting him know, hey, we're having the premiere in L.A. or in New York. If, uh, if you have anyone who wants to attend, RSVP. So Dustin lets me know. I give him the okay saying, yeah, I'll do it. He sends them an email, and then they send the confirmation going, okay, you're signed in and scheduled to appear at this date, at this location, gotcha. and all that. So they reach out to Dustin for the Batman universe. So that's pretty cool on their end where it's not something they or we have to like email them about but they take the initiative where I guess they have a list of outlets that they know of and who have attended these premieres before and they just send out email notifications which I'm sure is easier on uh, Dustin's end where he doesn't have to worry about asking where they just take it upon themselves and send an email out to see if they want to cover it so I think it's a good way to get it done (laughs) very cool but for this one for Justice League War um, something happened that kind of threw me off as I was doing the interviews, and I'm just going to ask you about this, Rob, to let you know what happened, see what you would do in this situation. 
you were doing the interview and the person right next to you asked the exact same question you were going to ask right before the person moves on and goes to your interview. Would you ask that same question or would you try to think of something on the spot and change it up so it's not like they're saying the same thing they just said or they say in the interview that, oh, well, as I was saying before, I mean, just to avoid all that to keep it different, what would you do? That's rough. I I think I'd probably try and come up with something else or or try to ex- expound the question or, or to turn that question that the person asked before you in, into something else so that maybe they would elaborate a little bit more on that. But I think my gut reaction would probably try to come up with something pretty quick. And on the inside, I'd be really disappointed to be like, well, <laughs> thanks for asking my question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear you say that because that's what I ended up doing. Because here's what happened. I was talking to the writer, Heath Carson, about it. And the question I was going to ask him was the reason behind switching Aquaman to uh, Shazam in the movie. But then the person, like I said, the person right next to me, like his last question, was that exact same question. Mm. And he was actually elaborating on that a lot, saying why they took uh, Aquaman out and put Shazam in, because they wanted to have this uh, relationship between Cyborg and Shazam as the youngest members of the Justice League group, so they can have this kind of special connection between those two characters. And that's why they included it. So he kind of went into details why. So I couldn't really think of anything right then to expand on that because I think he covered all the bases for that question. So then I just got, okay, what am I going to say? i got to think of another question. So I got through my first question, and as he was answering that, I was still going through my head, okay, what am I going to ask next? And so the question I ended up asking was, since it was an origin story for the Justice League, how would you go about writing the script for that? And then he gave a great answer. He was very enthusiastic about it. I think it was one of his first red carpet premieres or something, because he was very excited about it, and he's a great guy to talk to. So, overall, it did work out good, where I, the question got answered, and I was able to think of something on the spot. I just wasn't like, uh, uh, well, uh, okay, I guess that's it. <laughs> but, yeah, it just kind of threw me off for a bit. It actually happened another time, too, so I was like, oh, man, you got to be kidding. This guy sees my nose or something? <laughs> but other than that, yeah, just great to talking to the cast and crew. I mean, the other highlights I would say, as I was mentioning before, James Tucker, he was kind of giving some new information, I would think, about what to expect for the new 52 movies, or actually not the new 52 movies, but the DC animated movies. Because you'll see in the interviews, once they go up, I think by the time this episode of the podcast goes up, all the video interviews will be up on the Batman universe. But one of the things I asked him was if we can expect to see more new 52 stories is animated movies since Justice League War is the first one. He kind of went, yeah, we're planning on doing some more, and we're actually building a new continuity with Justice League War. So further down the line, some new movies are going to tie in directly to Justice League War, where it's going to be the same character, the same continuity. But then at the same time, he said it's not going to stop us from adapting older comic book stories. He specifically mentioned Long Halloween and Hush, so I was wondering if that was like a little hint, but <laughs> I don't know. Did you say Hush? Ah, uh, yeah. Oh. Imagine how cool that would be. That made my day. <laughs> <laughs> that one would almost seem like it'd have to be a two-parter. Yeah. So, what was that? Twelve issues or something like that? It went on for a year, didn't it? Yeah, I think it was. Tw- um, the novel's just out of my reach. I think it's twelve. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He said like so, classic stories. It's not going to stop him from doing that. So, I think the plan is, since they do three a year, they're going to have one movie that's in continuity 
with Justice League Warring, I guess, be the DC animated movie continuity. And then maybe do one that's based off an older adaption, like that's not part of the New 52. And then do something just totally brand new that stands on its own, like the upcoming movie this year, The Arkham War, or Assault on Arkham. Something to do with the Arkham video game storyline. So I thought that was pretty cool in some unique way how they're going to go about their movie line in the future. Because that's actually, I think, it's a good idea. We get kind of the best of all the worlds together, some from the New 52, some old, and then something brand new. And the only thing I'm hoping for is we get some more diversity in the characters they use, like some more Green Lantern, or I think we're getting an Aquaman pretty soon. Mm-hmm. I won't spoil it, but at the end of Justice League War, there's a tease as to what the next Justice League movie is going to be. <laughs> I think it's going to feature Aquaman. But, so yeah, so I'm pretty excited for the future of these movies, and we know what we're getting this year, but I'm looking forward to, I think, at Comic-Con is when they usually announce next year's slate of movies, so definitely looking forward to that. Definitely. Yeah, so it was great to talk to James Tucker and then Jay Oliva and uh, Andrea Romano. I talked to them probably the most out of all the times I went to the interviews. Andrea Romano, of course, is probably the greatest voice animation director there is out there. And it's great always to talk to her and get some insights from what she looks for in the casting. But then Jay Oliva, the director for this movie and, of course, the Dark Knight Returns animated movies, I wanted to make sure I asked him about his work on Man of Steel since he did the storyboard work for the active sequences. I wanted to ask him, has you been in contact at all for uh, the Batman <laughs> Superman movie? And his answer was, well, I can't really comment on that, but I don't know. I think maybe, yeah. <laughs> like he said he could come up with any kind of game. Yeah, I think I am. <laughs> Which is cool because the like, action sequences in Man of Steel were awesome. And then after that, I got to talk to some of the cast members. Unfortunately, uh, Jason O'Mara, who does Batman's voice, he was real sick and wasn't able to attend. So I did get a chance to talk to him, but I did talk to the voice actors who played Cyborg, The Flash, and um, Darkseid, Steve Bloom. And they were all really cool, but the funny thing about The Flash, the actor who played The Flash, Chris Gorham, I believe his name was, um, he pretty much gave an interview like The Flash, where it was real short. (laughs) (laughs) It was at the end of the Red Carpet's uh, interviews where they were kind of saying, okay, let's start to wrap it up now, we got to get things going. And so we were, you were at, I was at the end of his uh, interview line. And so when I got there, okay, I just make sure I just follow the rules and stick to two because that's what they always say, just two questions. And he didn't elaborate on anything pretty much. <laughs> I was like, how excited are you to play The Flash? Because I know you've been a fan since while you were growing up. He's like, oh, I'm real excited. Probably more excited to my kids. That's like, oh, okay, that's it. <laughs> then I quickly moved on to the next one. I think the whole interview was like 45 seconds or something like that. <laughs> but, Fun. Yeah. Had a blast. Pretty next. much. <laughs> so, yeah, that was probably the quickest interview that I had the whole night, and as you've probably seen in the video. <laughs> but, yeah, just, again, just another great time. I didn't wasn't able to stay to the actual movie screening and then the Q&A afterwards, because usually – it fills up, and they don't have enough room for, like, members of the press to see it. I believe this time it would only be in a separate room where you're watching on a small TV screen. So it's like, I don't really want to see it that way. And one of the perks to going as a member of the media, you do get screener copies. So <laughs> I was able to get the Blu-ray and just, like, I'll just go home and watch it. Oh, nice. Yeah, but the actual movie itself, when I got home and watched it, it was really good. I mean, I liked it a lot. It, I was always been a big fan of the... Jeff John to Jim Lee's original comic that launched the New 52, so I was really excited going into it to see it brought to life in animation, and it didn't disappoint for me. I mean, 
I knew going in, you're not going to get a deep, groundbreaking story about the Justice League. It's just pretty much a great action movie with awesome dialogue, interaction between all the characters. And to me, it delivered on all those. I mean, I think Green Lantern stole the movie. <laughs> he had some awesome dialogue and probably the best use of his constructs I've seen him in many of the movies or even his animated series. He does some awesome stuff. And then the voice cast, for the most part, was pretty good. I was, I think I talked to you about this on Twitter, Rob, how we were, I was a little concerned about Jason O'Mara as Batman. Where, yeah, I'm curious what you thought. Yeah, it was iffy going into it. And for the most part, I think he did a real good job. There were maybe a few lines where I thought, eh, that doesn't necessarily sound like Batman. But I think overall, he really did a really good job. Probably the one line that I didn't think was delivered the best was the first line of the movie that we saw in that clip. Where he's all say, what are you doing at the docks? I want answers. Like That was like yeah. probably the worst line or delivery he gave in the movie. And then after that, it was really good. So sounds like he's going to be voicing Batman in a few other movies. I mean, we, we're going to talk about it later, but we know Son of Batman, he's going to be praising his role. So definitely not complaining now Now that I've seen the whole movie. Nice. Uh, I did a, a YouTube uh, uh, podcast uh, a couple, or a week or so ago, and uh, a friend of mine on there was talking about one of the constructs of Green Lantern with a, uh, I haven't seen it, but a, a woman falling from the building yeah. and, does, and does a construct of an elevator. And then you even hear like the ding, yep. <laughs> you know, the elevator closing. He said that was his favorite, his favorite part of the whole entire movie. He's like, not that it, everything was bad after that. He's like, that was just brilliant what they did with that. Yeah, it really was. It was like, Green Lantern was the funniest. Even before that, like he made this awesome dragon construct to kind of scare off the parademon that was capturing this woman. Then after she starts falling, yeah, he creates the elevator, and then the ding noise happens on the building. <laughs> uh, how did you like the original comic series, Rob, when you first read it? I, I liked it. I I thought it was I thought it was starting off really slow, um, and it was only five issues that you know we have. You know, here's an issue for Green Lantern, Batman, and here's an issue for Aquaman, and here's an issue. By the time you get to Dark Side, it's like destruction, Dark Side, and over. You know. That it started slow, and then by the time you hit like issue five, everything is moving at a lightning fast pace. And I wish it would have. I wish that story when it went out, maybe like seven issues, and kind of you know, spread it out a little bit, or at least if they were having some, you know, more fighting, it would have. Uh, it wouldn't have seemed so condensed and tight. I think it started slow and ended fast. If that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but I actually think. It started off at a better pace than where it ended in the comics. I think basically just because of the introductions we got for the characters and just the great dialogue that Jeff Johns wrote between all of them. I just love that stuff so much. And then at the end, it was pretty much all action. And yeah. The dark side fight, I thought, was a little anticlimactic in the comic where he really didn't do anything. And they just kind of defeated him one, two, three, as soon as he appeared. I mean, he did some stuff, but not on the big epic scale I was hoping for. But yeah, it, that, that was kind of what I... What I was uh, hopefully I was articulating that it happened so fast that there wasn't anything like you said nothing real big and massive you know to it. Yeah, and the movie definitely fixes that problem. <laughs> and I love what they did with Darkseid here. Even the way he looks, he's a lot bigger than I think we've ever seen him before, and it really works to make him as this threatening and imposing like figure that you just think to yourself, oh man, how are we going to beat this guy? And man, some of the moves they were doing on him were really cool, especially the Flash and seeing. Some of the way he uses his speed to attack Darkseid was really awesome to see. So, yeah, I think it added some stuff better than the comic did. But at the same time, there's a 
few little disappointments I had with it. The big one, as I mentioned before, I was going to ask the writer about was the omission of Aquaman and including Shazam instead. Overall, Shazam worked for the most part. He was a funny character too, but I just think it would have been better if they kept with Aquaman because he had that awesome moment where he calls out the shark to take out mm-hmm. all those parademons. Yeah. As I just wish they would have included him in there and, and just so have him in the action sequences that I was enjoyed in the comics. I was kind of hoping would stayed in the actual story or the actual movie, but it's a small complaint. And like I said, the tease that we got at the end credit sequence, it looks like we're going to be seeing Aquaman in one of these movies in the near future. And probably my only other complaint was how Flash was introduced. Because I loved how it was in the comics where you get the awesome sequence where Superman is just pounding Green Lantern and Batman and that uh, shield contract that Green Lantern has. And he calls Flash like, hey, you better get down here. I need your help. <laughs> and that's how Flash comes to kind of intervene between Superman's fight with Batman and Green Lantern. But in here he ties in more to Cyborg's origin story. And it's mainly the complaint it comes from is just I love seeing the Barry and Hal uh, relationship that they had here. And we got a little bit of that in the movie, but not as much as in the comic, which I liked a lot in there. So those are probably my two biggest complaints. But overall, as someone who loved the comic, I thought they did a great job of adapting the movie. So if I had to score it, I'd probably give it four out of five. And that'll be my purchase Tuesday with my $25 Walmart gift card <laughs> nice. that, that I won at work. So I get a free movie. Thank you, uh, where I work. <laughs> The only uh, downside, I don't know if you usually get your movies at Best Buy because they have the, usually the only ones have the exclusive action figure toy there. Yeah. I'm not sure which one this movie's going to get, but I don't It'll believe be, Walmart has it, do they? No. Yeah. No, they won't. Uh, Superman is uh, the Best Buy exclusive. Oh, okay. Which, if, if it was Batman, I, I definitely would have gotten out and bought something else at uh, Walmart with it, but uh, scenes, not that I don't like Superman, but. Uh, being that I collect more Batman and Robin stuff, I thought, eh, I've, I don't need it. Uh, as you're talking about the size of Darkseid, I have the DC Collectibles Darkseid action figure, and he's like 13 inches tall, and the normal figures are 6 inches tall. So is that, I think you said it, but the size of Darkseid, is, is he as massive as, you know, he uh, uh, was supposed to appear in the comics? Yeah. Yeah, he's really massive. I mean, he's not like a giant, but he's uh, pretty bigger in size than most of all the Justice League members in there. You definitely see it when they're fighting him. Without having seen it, I've only seen just a couple little trailers. How how was Wonder Woman's costume? Because that's that's my only complaint of the images that I've seen of it. I just I don't like her costume at all. Yeah, I'll be honest. It's not really better than the comic version. I've I think the comic version works a lot better. But by the time the movie gets going, I really didn't think about it that much. I just kind of accepted it. But, yeah, I agree with you where they probably would have been better if they just stuck to the design they had, she had for the comic. Cause I, was, I don't think there's nothing wrong with it. This new design doesn't really add anything either. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, it's not a big deal for me anyway. But um, the only other thing, too, was that I noticed while I was watching it. I mean, if you had a problem with the destruction and Man of Steel... So you might have the same complaint in this one because <laughs> there's a massive destruction going on in the cities where they're fighting it. And I know people were complaining, oh, how come uh, Superman didn't make an effort to save people in these buildings? And if you're one of those people who had that problem with Man of Steel, you might have the same problem with Justice League War <laughs> because they didn't really make too much of an attempt to help the people out there to just mainly focus on taking Darkseid down. But I didn't mind it, and I didn't mind it at Man of Steel because it's like, 
this is the first time this is happening on Earth and they're working together and they really don't know what to do and that comes across in the movie. So to me, it didn't bother me, but I just couldn't help but think, of, well, this might be a problem for some people who thought Man of Steel had too much destruction in it. And it just made me think, well, it's quite a coincidence that it's a J. Oliva movie. There's <laughs> a storyboard sequences for Man of Steel. I mean, I always look at stuff like that, like the old, I'm a fan of the old, like, Japanese Godzilla movies where, you know, Godzilla and whatever monster he's, he or she is fighting, uh, they're always walking and crushing cities. So I, uh, I kind of look at Man of Steel and, you know, things like that is almost a tip to the hat. I wonder if they don't do some of those, like, monster movie destructions where, you know, you have this big event and buildings are going to be crumbling and, you know, yes, there's going to be the loss of life and all that stuff, but I'm not really, I'm not looking at it like, oh, my gosh, there were 483 people in that building. I was just looking like, man, that building just fell. You know, Superman barely flew through that building, you know. Yeah. I don't, to see some people were like, Superman wouldn't do that. I was like, you do know this is a movie, right? Exactly. (laughs) Did it entertain you? Yes. Then don't think too heavily on it. <laughs> I know. Uh, that's going to be a whole other tangent and podcast discussion for the complaints Man of Steel got that I don't agree with. <laughs> so, yeah, overall, I think you're going to enjoy it, Rob. And if, I guess one last thing, if the upcoming Justice League movie is anything like this, it's going to be awesome to see on the big screen. <laughs> you can only hope. Yeah. I just hope that with this snowstorm that we're supposed to be getting in Ohio where I live, if this prevents me from going to Walmart to pick this thing up, Uh-oh. I may have to resort to, to getting it digitally because uh, <laughs> I, I really, I, that's my biggest fear. It's like, oh, I can't wait. I've been waiting for this movie to come out ever since they announced it. And it's like, it's almost here. My wife's like, we're supposed to get a lot of snow. And I'm thinking, no, not not till I get to Walmart on Tuesday. <laughs> you just got to open your own uh Plow business like Homer did as Mr. Plow. I mean, go ahead, where you want. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but I'll come down and be your rival, the Plow King. <laughs> Excellent. But yeah, moving on from Justice League War, we got the news of uh, the next DC animated movie, which was Son of Batman, which we got the announcement, but just a few weeks ago, we got the official trailer and description for it. And after watching the trailer, I was surprised at how looks like a different route they're going than what Grant Morrison did in his comic story, but it's mm-hmm. looking pretty awesome. I think it's just pretty cool to see this version of Damien in animation for the first time. It looks really cool. I can't wait for it. I'm I'm stoked for this. Yeah. <laughs> as, as much as – it's funny. It's like as, as they killed off Damien, you really wouldn't know it in the Batman and comic that's going on right now. And even in uh, Batman and Robin annual that we'll talk about in a little bit, Damien seems very much alive in the DC universe. And then to, to do a Batman and son, you know, DVD, which I, which I think is really cool. I, I always scratch my head at, you know, when they adapt something from book to movie and they, they really kind of change it up. Uh, somebody said, you know, it's just kind of like, well, if you read the book and then you watch the movie, you're like, oh, yeah, that's that's exactly, you know, exactly the same. So they sometimes do make changes. But um, I was really kind of hoping that uh, I would get to see, you know, Tim Drake in this. But it looks like in Tim's place, Nightwing, Dick Grayson's going to be there. But I was going through uh, the casting on IMDb, and they list, I, I don't know who the actor is that's doing the voice, but they have... 
this kid's name is voicing Tim Drake, but in the couple images that have been going around, you can clearly see Batman, Nightwing, and Damian in the Batcave. So it's it, it looks really good from the previews that we've seen, but it always kind of makes me scratch my head. Is like, well, if the story was good enough for you to to adapt to a screen, then why why stray so far away from it? So yeah, I kind of get what you're saying, but at the same time too, you got to think. Okay, let's, let me not judge it until I see the actual movie because it may right. be better than the comic. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, exactly. But that's uh, interesting what you said that you've seen pictures of Batman, Nightwing, and Damien as well because I haven't come across that image of Nightwing at all. I'm going to have to go look for it. <laughs> so I'm kind I, of wondering, is Nightwing even going to be in it? Yeah, I saw it. It's on a, if you're on Facebook, it's a, a, a Batman fan site. I'll have to send you a link, but they've been having a couple different screen caps, and uh, there was a you see it in the trailer, but somebody took an image of uh, Batman the Animated Series where Batman is standing on the rooftop and the lightning strikes, and then they uh, freeze-framed Damien standing on a rooftop with the lightning striking behind him. It said, uh, like father, like son, which I thought was really cool. So now it's my desktop background. <laughs> yeah, I love the trailer. I like, too, how Deathstroke's going to be part of this story now because anytime Batman and Deathstroke go against each other, it's usually going to be a pretty cool fight sequence, which... We haven't seen too much of it. I mean, in Young Justice, I don't believe they fought each other in that. No. And definitely not in any of these DC animated movies. So hopefully, like, the final action sequence is going to be a Batman versus Deathstroke fight, which would be awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and just like you said, maybe they can improve on it. And I went back through. It's like, Deathstroke wasn't in this. And so I started going through it. I'm like, okay, now now it not that it didn't, didn't have my attention before, but I'm like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm on board. Yeah. <laughs> And also, I'm not going to call it a disappointment yet, but one thing that I wish was like the comics was Damien's introduction to Batman, or where he yeah. first meets Bruce. That definitely looks different, because he's not in the Batcave where Talia introduces him to Bruce in this movie. But I do hope the line is still there where he goes, I imagine you taller. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if that's not there, that's going to get a lot of uh, Damien and uh, it's Batman fans in general disappointed, because that's, that's a great line. Yeah. It's like one of those lines you just have to keep in there when you're adapting it. <laughs> yeah, so the movie comes out on May 6, 2014, so it's not that long of a wait. And it's going to have a this world premiere at WonderCon in April, so we'll probably be hearing some reviews about it then. But I'm definitely yeah. looking forward to it. I can't wait for it. But then as that is some cool news, we got some sad news <laughs> the last few weeks, which to me was unexpected, was that Nightwing, the title, is going to be ending with issue 30. And right when I read that, I was like, really? I mean, we knew that Kyle Higgins was leaving on issue 29, and I just figured, why couldn't he just write one more issue to finish off his whole run and let him end it the way he wanted to, which makes me think, are they doing something that he really didn't like? And this raises that whole question again, like we talked about on our last episode. What exactly are they going to do to Dick Grayson once forever evil is over? But I'm sure you're disappointed with that news too, Rob. Yeah, I am. Uh, It's... It, it's a head scratcher. I don't. It, it's almost like they're picking on Batman as a whole. It's like, okay, we're going to kill Damien and we're going to completely retweak uh, Tim Drake's origin. And, uh, you know, now we're going to go after Nightwing. I'm like, go pick on a Green Lantern for a while. Go. <laughs> well, their status quo has changed a lot, too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it, it's the point of, like, the status quo is we're changing the status quo. That's what the status quo is. 
which I, I'm really kind of disappointed in DC for doing that. But I feel like we're, we're changing things just for the sake of changing things. You know, it'd be nice to be going on a, you know, a, a five-year run and the status quo be just this. So rather than go through year one of the new 52 and then, okay, now we're going to make a change here. We go through year two of new 52. Okay, now we're going to change this. So uh, my my guess would be that Dick Grayson ends up in Earth 3 with Owlman. Yeah, you were talking about the last episode, and I more thinking about it more. It's like, man, I really hope you're right, Rob, (laughs) because I think that'd be the best case scenario where they don't kill him, but at the same time, for some reason or another, they don't they don't want him in this continuity anymore. So keep him alive, but have him off doing something else in Earth Three. I could definitely see that happening. So, and I haven't seen the uh, sales numbers, but I don't think Nightwing the book is selling that bad. And if Kyle Higgins was doing something, you know that DC didn't like, they just would have revamped. I mean, look what they did to Bat or Batwoman. Yeah. Uh, granted that was uh, the writers and saying, okay, we're, we're just not going to do this. And it got changed. But if DC was like, okay, Kyle, your time is done. We'll move you on. But to completely cancel the Nightwing book, it's not like it was Hawk and Dove, you know, <laughs> yeah. or static shock <laughs> or sta- Yeah. Or, or any of the other 50 titles that they canceled. And that, you know, Aquaman is getting a second ongoing series, which, you know, it for Aquaman to Jeff Johns wrote such an amazing first run for Aquaman that it's, you know, getting another series. So I anything Batman usually sells very, very well. So yeah, this is a complete head scratcher. And that James Tinian is writing the thirtieth issue. Yeah. yeah. It's like I said, why couldn't Kyle Higgins just write one more in this puzzle? Yeah. There's gotta be something going on in the editorial where that happened. It sounds to me, too, like they're really banking a lot on this Batman Eternal story because we're losing two Bat books, Nightwing and uh, The Dark Knight, pretty soon. So maybe they don't want to overcrowd the shelves with a lot of Batman titles, but that never bothered them before. So I'm just wondering no. if they're really banking a lot on this Batman Eternal to be something really big and huge for them. Yeah, and that it, it, has it been confirmed that Kyle Higgins is on Batman Eternal now? Yeah, Okay. Yeah, so we'll see what he does there. And then he's still continuing to do some awesome stuff with Batman Beyond. So I'm hoping he stays on that title for a while. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's a bummer. And then also, to a lesser extent, Suicide Squad is also ending. But I haven't read that since issue number five. So. <laughs> yeah. So, and it's not like Harley doesn't have her own book, so. Exactly. No, no loss there. Yeah, so. But we'll see what's ends up happening to Dick pretty soon. I mean, I'm anxiously awaiting to see. And then once it's all said and done, I want to hear Kyle Higgins' reaction towards it, see if he's allowed to say anything about what his true feelings were on the whole subject. Oh, yeah, because he's been pretty quiet. So it's and, and I think I've been saying this the last few podcasts, that he used to be tweeting quite a bit about Nightwing. Oh, you know, this issue's coming out. I hope you guys really like it. And I don't remember if it's been like since issue... 20, maybe even like 18 or 19, he really hasn't been posting much about Nightwing at all. Yeah, like I said, I just wonder if he's bothered by it somehow. It's like just so disappointed that whatever they're doing is just not the way he thought it would end. So Yeah, I did like yeah, I did like his tweet that said, uh, you know, thanks for the support and issues 28 and 29 are for you, the fans. So I'm really kind of curious to see, you know, what his swan song with Nightwing is going to be like. Yeah, yeah, I hope he ends it on a bang. <laughs> At least his yeah. anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but we actually got some big news to talk about today also. As we're recording this episode, January 31st, 2014. It seems like 
the big news that are happening for Batman versus Superman is happening the day we're going to record the podcast. I actually think yeah. the WB is doing that on purpose. They know <laughs> we're, we're recording, and they want to give us something juicy to talk about. <laughs> and I feel like we get the scoop on Dustin every time. <laughs> By the time they get it, it's like, oh, we've already heard this on the Bat fans. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this, going clear back to the episodes where how we're going to beat the Bat fans, we're just going to const- or beat the Batman Universe podcast. We're just going to constantly outscoop, and that's how we're going to win. Yeah, I just say WB, uh, they trust us to deliver the news first. <laughs> that's why they <laughs> announce it on these days. There you go. Yeah, but the big announcement today was that Lex Luthor and Alfred have been cast in the Man of Steel sequel or Batman vs. Superman. And, as usual, it caused quite a stir online. But I'm going to go ahead and give my reaction first right now is that I'm just going to say I haven't seen – well, maybe I should actually uh, say who's been cast in the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Because I think that might actually help. First off, for Alfred, uh, we got Jeremy Irons is going to be playing him, which – I think the only movie I recognized or saw from Jeremy Irons was The Lion King as the voice of Scar. So I know he's a famous actor and he's done a lot of movies, but... Have, someone, you, have you seen Die Hard with a Vengeance? No, I haven't. I was just about okay. to say, as someone who <laughs> barely sees a lot of movies except for genre stuff like superhero stuff and Star Wars and Lord of the Rings, Indiana Jones, those type of things, I'm not much of a movie buff. So. Oh, okay. Even really popular stuff I've just never seen before as well. I'm not too familiar with Jeremy Irons, but then I'm even less familiar with who's playing Lex Luthor, which is, you might remember him from The Social Network, which is probably the only movie I know of that he was in, but you have yet seen, is Jesse Eisenberg. And this is reminding me of Heath Ledger all over again, really. (laughs) I mean, the negative reaction he's getting just reminds me of that. Just the fact that he's playing the big bad guy of Superman like Heath Ledger was for Batman as the Joker, and just someone way out of left field that you didn't saw coming. And I'll say this, too. I have to say it's pretty awesome that it was someone that wasn't even mentioned at all in any of these rumors. <laughs> it just goes yeah. to show you how much of these sites and these scoop reporters, just as much as they say, oh, you can bank on it, and it's the done deal that Brian Craston is going to be Lex Luthor. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> you just got to wait till the official announcement. So that a small part of me was like, yeah, I'm glad that happened, but. Overall, I can't really judge his acting performance. I mean, I've heard he's a really good actor, and I think once he shaves the head, he's going to have a look, a good look as Lex Luthor. But yeah. the thing I'm kind of looking forward to the most is that this is going to be a younger version of Lex Luthor that we probably haven't seen too much of. I mean, we did see him in Smallville, but in an actual movie where he's going to be the villain, um, it's going to be something different and unique that I'm looking forward to seeing. And glad that he's going to be in the same age range as Superman. I think they are the same age, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it, but... What are you using, Rob? I, I am. Uh, my wife and I saw uh, Catch and I Catch Me. If, if you could, can you see me now? I've got it wrong. Uh, <laughs> that uh, uh, Jesse was in, and uh, Michael Caine was in that movie. Morgan Freeman, uh, Mark Ruffalo. Uh, it was really good. Uh, Woody Harrelson was in that movie, which he oddly enough worked with Woody Harrelson in Zombie Lane, which I liked that as well. Uh, he was in social media. Uh, I've liked liked him a lot. Um, people say that he was probably uh, cast more for uh, how he came across in uh, social media. And I, I was like a lot of people. I was like, what? That I I didn't remember that I had seen stuff that I really liked him in. And once I started going through IMDb and looking up, I was like, oh, I liked him in that. I liked him in that. I liked him in that. So um, it, I... Uh, 
watch this guy on uh, YouTube, uh, Geekvolution, was saying he was not <laughs> anybody on anybody's you know first list, one hundredth yeah. list, or one millionth <laughs> list. But uh, he was comparing it like you did to uh, Heath Ledger by saying that you know is all the backlash that uh, they got out of it, uh, and then to people go, oh, I love Heath Ledger as a Joker. So I, I'm the Stuff like this always bugs me, just like people are talking about the Super Bowl and thinking about, well, what are they going to do to prepare for this, and what do you think is going to possibly happen? I'm like, well, you won't know until you watch the game. After the game is over, then we can talk about everything we could have, would have, should have done, but it's hard to have those would have, could have, should have things until you actually see the person in the suit or with the shaved head or with the lasso or whatever it is. So I'm I'm all for it. Um, I think it will be really interesting to see and uh, Jeremy Irons I've loved everything that I've seen him in and uh, I think he'll be uh, a really good uh, Alfred to uh, Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne and uh, people were saying oh there's now they've got you know Lex in here now we've added Alfred and who knows how much screen time uh, Jeremy Irons is going to get as Alfred it could simply be you know pulling up to the Daily Planet letting Bruce Wayne out and having a couple seconds of dialogue but uh, Jeremy Irons I'm 100% behind and uh, Jesse Eisenberg I'm like let's let's give a shot let's see what it looks like with the bald head and uh, go from there yeah I mean I just still don't get some of the complaints that our people are having about this I mean like you said if Hurdy's a good actor but people are saying oh he's not bulked up enough for Lex Luthor like really Luthor doesn't yeah. have to be a character who's all bulked up and or he's not old enough but that's one of the things I like about this casting I think it's going to be make for a pretty interesting story point if they go this way where Batman is like the wealthiest person in the country and he has a successful business, but now Lex Luthor is this up-and-coming business guy who's going to be like the new rival for Bruce if they're going to play that aspect to it. Well, and look at just look at the real-world stuff that's going on. A lot of your big business moguls are, I mean, are starting off to get, be getting younger and younger. You have a lot of yeah. dot-com people that are wealthy and making a name for themselves. So who, who's to say Lex Luthor can't be something like that? And, you know, I don't expect Lex Luthor to be, you know, throwing punches, punches with Batman and Superman, but I could see him hopping into a suit of some type and trying to fight, you know, like we've seen him doing countless comics and movies and things like that. So I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, bring it, you know. Yeah, same here. And I like the official description they had in the press release. It says, Lex Luthor is often considered the most notorious of Superman's rivals, his unsavory reputation preceding him since 1940. What's great about Lex is that he exists beyond the confines of the stereotypical and nefarious villain. He's a complicated and sophisticated character whose intellect, wealth, and prominence position him as one of the few mortals able to challenge the incredible might of Superman. Having Jesse in the role allows us to explore that interesting dynamic and also take the character in some new and unexpected directions. So, from this statement, they're hitting on all the points that I liked about Luthor. The intellect, the mm-hmm. most important thing, the, the sophisticated, uh, well, they, yeah, they described sophisticated character, they said, but his prominence position as, like, one of the few mortals who was able to challenge Superman is something I like, because you know that's what always drives Lex Luthor. He thinks himself as, like, the greatest human to ever be born, like, the savior of the human race. And Superman's come here and ruined everything to, for him to be that. So they're sounding like they're hitting all the right notes that I'm expecting for Lex Luthor. But at the same time, they said some new and unexpected directions. Just like you said, bring it. I can't wait to see it. Uh, I can just see some great conversations between 
Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor, with Ben being older than uh, Jesse, I could totally see Bruce being almost looking more like old money. Well, you know, this is how we used to do things, or this is how we should do things, and Lex being just a little bit younger could be like, well, this is how we do things in the 21st century, you know, kind of give a, a backhanded compliment to Bruce Wayne and just kind of see, you know, that here's how my vision of Gotham, or Gotham, uh, Metropolis should be. So I, I think it would work really, really, really good, and it would give uh, Henry Cavill's uh, Clark Kent a good, you know, story piece to do between, you know, Bruce Wayne and Lex Luthor, so... I'm excited for it. I just don't want to wait till 2016. <laughs> yeah, that's the only bad part now. They still got that news from a, two weeks ago. I got pushed back. It's like, ah. <laughs> like, if only this was still 2015. But, hey, if they need that more time to make it yeah. even better, by all means. <laughs> and at least, like, I think we were talking about it earlier before we started recording that. Yeah. The shooting schedule seems to still be the same. Because Henry Cavill is already in Detroit, Michigan right now, ready for filming. So, it doesn't look like that's been delayed. So, you might be seeing some no. set pictures or hopefully some official images released of the Batsuit and Wonder Woman costume and maybe a retweak Superman costume. I mean, pretty soon, hopefully, we'll be seeing that stuff. I hope we see an official photo of the Batsuit before we see a leaked photo. Exactly. They should just do what they did for The Dark Knight Rises. They knew they were going to be filming out in the open and everyone was going to see Anne Hathaway as Catwoman. So they released that first picture of her on the pod, the Bat Pod. Yeah. As everyone flipped out, where are her ears? She doesn't have the cat ears. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm hoping they do something like that. Just get that image out there so our first exposure to Ben Affleck's costume won't be some leaked image from a fan's cell phone. Right. And uh, we're talking about this, too, how we were listening to one of the latest Batman and Batman episodes where Kevin Smith elaborated on the Bat costume more. It's like, uh, just hurry up and put that out. I want to see that exact image that Kevin Smith saw, because that sounds awesome, where Superman's in the background. They built, like, this small set, I guess, over on a roof, further on a building or a rooftop or something like that. I just want to see that image, <laughs> a live-action Batman and Superman together. And <laughs> I just can't wait. And I, I like that... Uh, as Kevin was describing that, he was like, oh, well, did you get some actor, you know, or, or some model to model the bat suit? Yeah. And Snyder had to tell him, no, that, that's your boy. So here's a guy that has known Ben Affleck for a very, very long time and didn't recognize him in the bat suit. So to hearing people say, I'm just going to be looking at Batman going, that's Ben Affleck. If a guy that has known Ben Affleck for a good chunk of his life didn't recognize him in a photo, that to me that that makes me feel good that you know he got lost in a good way he he saw Batman first before he saw Ben Affleck in a costume yeah that's a great point too yeah <laughs> I mean I'm hoping too maybe the uh, costume's gonna have the lenses where he just has like those white blank eyes <laughs> like what, he doesn't wouldn't have that eyes. be so cool oh, <laughs> we got a little bit of the dark night the dark night at the end but to have it be a fully part of his costume all the time I think would be amazing to see <laughs> would, oh, we'll see yeah. if they could pull it off but. Maybe that played into the fact why Kevin Smith didn't recognize him as Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. In playing uh, Batman Arkham Origins, I, a cool thing I like about the game that I wish they could kind of incorporate, which I don't think would probably work in the Batsuit, was to be able to see through walls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to have like that Batman kind of x-ray or to, or to do some type of... I mean, they kind of did it in uh, The Dark Knight where <laughs> with the, the sonar type thing. So who knows? Yeah, I'm just glad, too, we had that disappointment of the 
pushback of the movie, and we we're kind of saying that, oh, we hope they give us some type of announcement to ease the blow of that, and I think they did it with this. It was two weeks later, but it was still exciting to hear. Yeah. As we said, as we started this conversation, that will remind me of Heath Ledger. I just hope the end result is just like Heath Ledger 2, where it'll make all the fans go back on what they were saying, how bad this casting choice is going to be. Yeah. I just have that feeling all around. It's going to be something good. But we'll still have a few years to wait for that. But <laughs> while we do, we can go ahead and move on to our conversation with Alex and listener feedback, because we do have another email to read. So we'll go ahead and get into that. So Alex starts off his email with saying, hey, all you people. Fantastic listen. In regards to the John Cusack movies, I'm with you, Dane, on High Fidelity. I don't think I even got 45 minutes in with that movie. (laughs) I know critics loved it, but it felt like one of those late-night Saturday romantic comedies on the UPN that won't go away. Now I kind of miss them, though, being that CW took over. Although I stopped reading Tomasi's Batman title, I read the Batman and Robin annual, too, and loved it. Last year's annual was my favorite issue of 2013, This issue is easily my favorite issue of 2014. I'm still not going to read his title because I'm not a fan of the way he writes Batman so dark. However, I will read it if he writes Robin. I know you guys would agree, but I think this is the only great Dick Grayson story outside of Snyder's Batman and Justice League. He's written the best Dick Grayson issue of the New 52 and, without a doubt, the best Damian writer. I hope he writes a Tim Drake book in the future. I also love Batman number 27, so I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. I don't want Snyder to go back to current time and would rather him continue with this and naturally bring in the Robins. Sort of like how a reboot for Batman should have been, in my opinion. You know, that's an interesting point. I mean, considering how Zero Year ends, will Snyder handle the Robin introductions too? <laughs> yeah. We'll shall see. But he continues, Regarding the amount of trailers or information we get, the only reason I find out about what's solicited or in the trailers is because of the Batman Universe podcast. Otherwise, I wouldn't have anything spoiled for me. If I see a trailer come out for a movie, I just turn the channel or look away. Just like for the recent Arkham Origin games. I never watch trailers or if I saw an article in the headlines. Oops, I actually skipped the line. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that didn't make sense. Since if the trailer comes on for the movie, I just turn the channel or look away. Just like for the recent Arkham Origin games, I never watch the trailers or if I saw an article with the title in the headlines, I just didn't look at it. I'm not complaining because I chose... I choose not to skip ahead, but the Batman Universe podcast is how I got the villain revealed, spoiled for me. Unfortunately, a lot of sites are putting big pictures out there on the front page of their site, which is what aggravates me, since I try to avoid it. But I don't understand people when they click play on something or other than a teaser or one main trailer and they complain that they showed footage. Yeah, if you click on it, anything you see is your fault. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, me too. He goes on, I was glad to hear Tim's enthusiasm for the TMNT title and would recommend anyone who liked 90s Batman to check it out. It has that darker tone, but it's interspaced with lighthearted, comedic moments and that family camaraderie. I can't say it. <laughs> which, made me love, yes, there you go. <laughs> which made me love that decade of Batman so much. I do not like Campy's 80s and 90s turtles, so if that's what's keeping people away, don't worry. Yeah, like I said on the last... Uh, email you sent to Alex, totally agree. I mean, what makes those stories for me is just the family aspect. I mean, you really get that sense that the Four Turtles and Splinter and even April and Casey Jones are just one family who's always looking out for each other and it really stresses out in the story. So, yeah, again, I'll emphasize it again. You should check out IDW's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comics. <laughs> even if you're not a fan of the actual Turtles, there's just some great stories on in there, which I think might make you a fan. So, I think it's worth checking out. 
And then he concludes by saying, you guys picked my favorite Batman the Animated Series fight, and it was interesting to hear you both having a different favorite part of it. My favorite part is when Batman wraps the Venom tube in the bat signal and electrifies Bane. It was shocking. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome, too. (laughs) But yet, it didn't fully knock Bane out for the count just yet. He had just a little bit of strength to throw that bat signal at Batman and Gordon. And then he follows the email up with his questions. What is your favorite story of a C-list or lower-ranking villain? Mine is Deadshot, beginnings by John Ostrander. What do you think, Rob? Do you have a favorite C-villain story? <sighs> and I'm going to have to think of one, too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, let's see. Uh, uh, I've always liked Anarchy, um, and not just because of uh, Arkham Origins. I, I didn't realize that... Uh, he was created before the Robin series. I always thought that he was an arch villain of Tim Drake and didn't realize that he actually got his start um, in Batman. I can't remember what issue of Batman that was. That uh, the creators is blanking on me right now. Uh, but the whole reason that he recorded or recorded uh, created some of his villains is that he felt awkward. I'm not really sure how to write the Joker or the Penguin, some of the big ones, so he kind of came up with his own uh, rogues gallery, so that way he wasn't tied down to the archetypes of, you know, well, here's how the Joker is supposed to be written. So he created uh, Anarchy, and there was a couple others that I'm blanking on. But um, my favorite version of Anarchy is in the final uh, part of the Robin Ongoing series, uh, Search for a Hero, uh, where, where Anarchy is just torching all of uh, Gotham City and basically leaving it to uh, Tim Drake and uh, Stephanie Brown to try and put out all these fires and bring down all the crowds. And uh, that's where Tim ends up getting uh, burnt on the back of his head and has to wear the full uh, Red Robin cowl to help conceal his identity and to allow his head to heal and uh, get the uh, uh, Tim and uh, Jason uh, start to resolve their stuff, but Anarchy is just full-blown on uh, destruction, where it made made it feel like he could, could and should be at least a, a, a strong B-list, and then, you know, we didn't see him again until uh, recently in the New 52 and the Green Lantern title, the Zero Year. So I, I'm going with Anarchy, a search for a hero. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go with someone who might even be a D-list villain. <laughs> Do you remember the Tally Man? Oh, yeah, from uh, uh, Tim's, uh, uh, what is that? Uh, I'm losing the title. I know what you're talking about. Because I, I was introduced in the Shadow of the Bat during the whole yeah. Night Quest thing. And yep. pretty much what I liked about it was his origin story. I mean, it was a pretty tragic story. <laughs> it kind of made you feel for the character. Where it's like he's come from a family of poverty. Where, like this is his mother and his sister. And the mother said, like, every, every so often, I forget the exact time frame, but the tally man would come and we have to pay him. And it has come this one time where it was just like became their natural routine, but this one time the mother didn't have the money to pay him. And so he starts beating her, And then, but then the little uh, kid couldn't take it anymore. He had to go help his mother. So he ended up killing him, the person who came come to collect the money. So then he gets thrown in jail. And he's spending, I forget exactly how long he spends in jail, but it's a pretty significant amount of time. But then when he comes back, he finds out that his, both his mother and his sister are dead, and I may be wrong with this because it's been a while since I actually read up on his origin story, but it was like his sister or his mother died from an illness or something or grief. I forget why, but then one of them, because 
of their dads hang themselves. So when he comes home, he sees the dead body of either his mother or his sister hanging on there and just, like, warps yeah. him. And that's what makes him become the tally man, the Batman villain, who I didn't think had too many appearances, but I just remember really liking that origin story a lot. Even though it's not too familiar in my head right now because it's been a while since I picked up that issue and looked at it, but that's one that always stuck out to me. And He had a great background story for a supervillain, but I don't know if he ever amounted to anything beyond that where to become like a valuable threat for a Batman villain to keep going and going. So that's one that's out there that I just came to my head right now. It was one that I always liked. Yeah, I got him confused with somebody else. Uh, he uh, was also in, like you said, uh, within uh, Nightfall, Jean-Paul Valley was going up against him, and then Dick as Batman, after Bruce comes back and leaves, okay. Dick fights uh, the tally man, and Tim's having to tell Dick, you know, well, Bruce has already gone up against him and has to kind of give him, you know, the... Uh, a Cliff Notes version because, you know, they're having this uh, dialogue and Tim's having to do a lot of the talking because he's like, I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I said, I haven't read any other stories with him except that one where it tells you his origin. But then, remember, after Infinite Crisis, they did that five years later story stuff with all the DC characters? Yeah. In the first one for Batman, um, they had this character who was a different tally man, but he was calling himself that name who was kind of taking out these villains. It was in the storyline that brought Harvey Dent back as Two-Face, but it found a totally different character. So I don't yeah. really know, remember what happened to the original Tally Man, if Infinite Crisis did away with him or did he die somehow. So I'll have to do some research on him, but <laughs> his origin story will always stick out to me. Yeah. And then Alex's next question is, what is your favorite Batman reference from a TV show or movie? His is from the Simpsons episode, Marge versus the Monorail. <laughs> that is a good one. Do you remember that one? Yeah. <laughs> There's a man who can help you. Is it Batman? No, it's a scientist. Batman's a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go something similar to that. I'm going to go with uh, a Seinfeld reference. It's that one where Kramer, there's someone who works at Elaine's office who heckles Jerry, but then so Jerry goes down to heckle her, and so as she gets offended by that. She runs out. And her uh, big toe gets uh, taken off by a buzz. <laughs> but Kramer picks up the toe and he's going on a bus. Then someone tries to like hold up the bus with a gun, but Kramer punches him out and takes him out. And he's driving the bus trying to get that big toe to the hospital to reattach it. <laughs> and as he's telling the story, Kramer goes, or George goes, you know what, you're Batman. He's like, yeah, I am Batman. <laughs> you made all the stops. Well, they kept ringing the bell. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I always loved that one. Oh, that's funny. You remember going clear back to the beginning of the podcast when you said, uh, Rob, what would you do in the scenario if the guy before you asked the same question that you do? Uh, So as you're telling that, I'm like, well, he just took mine. (laughs) (laughs) So the closest I could come up with is a Snickers commercial where a guy gets uh, quarterback, gets tackled, gets knocked out. And uh, he's like, how many fingers am I holding up? He's like, five. What's my name? And he's like, your coach. He's like, what's your name? And the guy on the ground goes, I'm Batman. They say, okay, come on, you're out. <laughs> and then he's sitting on the bench with, like, a linebacker, and he's got a towel over his head, and he looks at the linebacker and goes, hello, citizen. Would you like to ride in the Batmobile with Batman? And then it says, like, Snickers, are you going to be here a while? So that's my crappy answer <laughs> that I came up with really fast. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah, uh, but YouTube. You know, I just forward all the commercials, so maybe I just skipped it, not even knowing it. Yeah, you can uh, YouTube Snickers commercial Batman. It's it, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, but those Seinfeld and Simpson ones, those are probably some of the best of all time. (laughs) (laughs) And then an honorable mention, too, I'll say this, uh, The Office, where uh, in 2008, where they had their Halloween episodes, in the beginning, everyone, or like three of the workers dressed up as Heath Ledger's Joker. I don't know if you saw that. That one was pretty (laughs) good. But, yeah, that's it for Alex's emails. He says, thanks, as always, guys, and thank you, Alex, for the email. But now we'll go on to another one from Corbin Poole, who actually uh, does some work on for the Batman universe. He's been doing some images of the day. And I believe this one email was sent right after we recorded our last episode. So, sorry, Corbin, that's taken a little bit for us to read it. But he goes, hey, guys, love the episode. It's been a while since I've sent anything to you, but I want you guys to know that I still haven't missed an episode. I'll try to be more regular in the future. As far as the Arkham games, I believe Origin is my favorite. Asylum had the best story, and City had the best gameplay. But I feel that Origins balanced the two the best so far. As far as memorable game moments, I feel like Origins had it. The boss fight making it. The Deathstroke fight, the Copperhead fight, the pre-Titan Bane fight, and the Joker beatdown, as well as the Killing Joke references, were all incredible. I liked how their versions of how... No, let me read that again. I liked how their versions of how all of Batman's villains became to be. Plus, I love playing in the Earth 2 skins. For the DLC, I was hoping for a Dick Grayson origin but I'm not going to complain with a Heart of Ice DLC. I'm so glad I got the season pass. You know what? Part of me thinks I should probably get that. <laughs> do they even still have that up there? Yeah, yep, okay. still do. I did that for Injustice, and I definitely want to get that Mr. Freeze DLC, so yeah, maybe I should pick that up. Yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. And with the season pass, you'll get all of the uh, bonus uh, skins as well. There are two skins that he's talking about, so it's a good pickup. Yeah, and I agree with Corbin saying how our origins did a great job of balancing kind of like a good story and some good gameplay stuff. Cause yeah, I think it's probably has my favorite boss sequences. Like you said, the Bane and Joker stuff. It's awesome. Yeah. And it continues. I recently cut out any of the DC books that I've been getting that I felt like were Metacore and I've replaced those with some top Marvel books. So now every book I get, I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. It's about 50% DC, and 50% Marvel right now. Hayden Blackman has gone to Marvel much to Dane's dismay, <laughs> and will be writing a new Electra series with Mike Del Mundo, who is an incredible artist. So I will definitely be getting this book. Yep. That's the way to do it. <laughs> Spend your money on quality books, so not just getting books because you have to, which I think sometimes all comic fans fall into the trap of. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the Marvel stuff, um, right now I'm just reading Superior Spider-Man, which I love, but uh, I want to get into more, but... Until I maybe get some more money, I can dive into the stuff I want to because I really want to get back into X-Men. I just love the X-Men universe, but I think the stories have become so convoluted that I really don't know where to start with it. I mean, I tried getting into it when they relaunched the Marvel Now stuff with all new X-Men, and it started out pretty cool, but it still wasn't like a brand new fresh start. I was still like, okay, how did this happen to this character, or what's this character's situation? So, still waiting for a great jump on point for the X-Men, because I really want to get back into them. And then, with Guardians of the Galaxy coming out this summer, I really want to start reading their comics. I've read a few issues, but I want to get back into doing it regularly, because the stuff I'm seeing and hearing from the movie sounds like a great concept. It's like, just the movie by itself would become one of my most anticipated of the year, so... Before I see it, I want to get more familiar with the comic. This we're, we're treading on an area of uh, Marvel that I'm really having a hard time uh, <laughs> uh, understanding. I've always been a DC guy. I mean, my favorite Marvel uh, character is Iceman, like Iceman and Daredevil, Gambit, uh, characters like that. Of course, like Spider-Man, Captain America, and all of those. But I always do uh, 
pretty good at when a, a new superhero type movie is coming out. I'll make sure my wife has seen the other previous movies as we go to see it. And she's like, we saw Michael Rooker at the uh, Ohio Comic Con. He was talking about Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, my wife's like, what's that? I looked at her and I said, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, I- I'm going to go see it and I'm sure it's going to be good. It's going to be the Marvel Universe. But I, I said, I know there's a squirrel. <laughs> I see a raccoon. <laughs> a, a raccoon. Yeah, see, see, there you go. I'm about underprepared. So this is one of those few movies that I'm going to go to. No, it's going to be comic book based, but I'm really going to have very little understanding of what it is. Yeah, I just think overall in general, this is like Marvel's uh, hardest movie to try to push. And I guess yeah. people to go because it's like way out there. <laughs> this is not a concept, but I think with the characters being so unique, we got Rocket Raccoon and then the talking tree who says just one line but looks pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be also, I think, a like a slash comedy too. It's not going to be so serious. I mean, it's going to be kind of like a good balance of both. It's some good action and also be pretty funny. So I, before I see it, I want to get more familiar with it too. So it's, I'm definitely looking forward to it, though. And Corbin finishes his email. I keep going back and forth on getting the Batman Eternal comic because I'm not sure if it's worth the price. We don't have a ton of information, but given what we know so far, is is it worth getting? What are your guys' thoughts on the book? Yeah, for me, I'm definitely going to check it out when it starts. And I hate to say it, but as much as I don't like the fact that Batman the Dark Knight is ending and Nightwing is ending... The Batman Eternal is kind of gonna is gonna fill the void of those books, so it won't be so bad as far as just another book to get every single week. So that eases the blow a little bit. So I'm definitely curious to see the story they're gonna tell in there because, like I said before, it seems like they're banking a lot on this story to be something really big. So I'm definitely gonna uh, try it out at least for the first few issues and hopefully stick with it because it's good. Hey, that's how I am. It's looking like that's another book to pick up every week, but. Um, another one of my books that I'm on that I'm probably one of the few Teen Titans is getting cancelled so that eases up the wallet a little bit then the Nightwing and I was on Justice League uh, America and that's getting cancelled so there's a lot of these other books uh, Superman and Chain that's getting cancelled so uh, like you said it, it'll fill the void of some of these other books and um, the YouTube podcast that I did I sprung this on some of the viewers here and I'll, I'll say it here on this podcast, so you're hearing it for the first time. I'm really wanting to do a a podcast or a a YouTube type thing to solely cover Batman Eternal. With it being a weekly book, at the end of a month, we would have four books to talk about. So um, I'm real excited about it to know that Tim Drake is finally going to get to make a prominent appearance. We're getting Stephanie Brown. I mean, they're they're talking it up quite a bit. So um, this could be one of these things we said earlier could change the status quo, you know, of Batman. So it'll be curious to see how this all plays out with Snyder coming back into current continuity with uh, Zero Year uh, ending and then going into Batman Eternal. So he'll actually be in two books writing the same character at the same time. So I'm I'm excited about it. Um, every little bit of information we can hear about it, it gets me excited for uh, the book. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and I think for this book or the series, I think I'm going to go digital all the way for it, just so I don't have tons of books piling up every week and then it gets too big because I'm kind of running out of room as it is. So I've been trying <laughs> to go digital more and more. So I think this one I'm going to do, do it for that. 
Yeah, right. I'm going to get the uh, newsstand issues. And with, you know, by the time this book hits, I will, just because of cancellations, I will have dropped four books out of my uh, weekly poll list. So it's, it's not going to change anything. I'll still be getting four books. So that's true. But <laughs> I still think I'm going to go digital. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. So yeah, thanks a lot for the email, Corbin. Uh, hope to hear more from you in future episodes. So uh, that'll take us into our comic review section now. And for this episode, we're going to be covering the weeks of... No, I have to bring the show notes up real quick to get those dates right, because you know how I always get those dates wrong. (laughs) (laughs) It's either like in November, (laughs) like a month behind, or like a month ahead, or a week behind. But uh, we're going to be covering the weeks of January 22nd and January 29th. For January 22nd, we got Batman number 27. Batman and Two-Face 27, and for January 29th, uh, we just got the Batman and Robin annual, as unfortunately me and Rob haven't had a chance to read The Dark Knight number 27 yet, so yeah. just be covering three books this episode. But for our rating scale, I think, uh, let's see if you agree with me, Rob, we'll go with uh, news and rumors that end up being false that have been reported by scoop sites, <laughs> or the amount of news and rumors that were proven false. Yes. Just basing off what happened with Lex Luthor today, I think it'd be appropriate. <laughs> I think that I would agree with that. I concur. All right. All right, so let's go ahead and kick off with Batman number 27. And unfortunately, Rob, you told me earlier you didn't read this one yet, but telling it's, you you're, you're missing out. It's, it's right in front of me. You can follow along with me then. <laughs> that That is actually literally what I'm going to do as you're talking about it, so you may begin. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so the last two issues from Batman that Scott Snyder has done, I said they haven't been up to his normal standard of awesomeness. I mean, they were good, but they just weren't his usual great writing that we've come accustomed to. But I think issue 27 uh, brings them back to that, mainly in two sequences. But before we get there, the issue opens up with, uh, like, a, a nightclub singer singing a song in a nightclub. And it just gets me thinking, we've seen several introductions for a few issues now that you're just wondering how they tie into the actual story. Well, we had the one with those soldiers driving up on the desert, and now we got this. So it just makes me wonder how are all these things are going to tie, tie in together in the end. But we pick up where the last issue left off, where Batman's having a shootout with the police. And I just have to say, man, Greg Capullo's art was in this sequence was just awesome. <laughs> I mean, seeing Batman all shot up and seeing his cow broken, and you see the inside of his cow and his mask, it is really cool. I just love this early bat suit design that Snyder and Capullo are doing. This, this looks really cool. So Batman's able to escape out in, into the water from the police department that are chasing him, and then the person who ends up rescuing him is a commissioner, or I keep saying commissioner, but he's not commissioner yet, is Gordon, who pulls him up on his police belt that he has. At first, Batman is reluctant, of course, because he still doesn't trust him. But here's where the story really gets good, at least to me is where the heart of the issue is, where Gordon helps Batman, Batman accepts it, even though he's still reluctant. And there's a little nod that I thought was pretty cool to year one. Gordon takes off his glasses and goes, here, take my glasses, I can't see a thing without them. That way you can take off your helmet and treat your wounds. And then also Guy Gordon, since you can't see it where he's driving the boat. But then Gordon starts telling him a story because Batman asks him, why should I trust you? You know how he thinks all Gotham cops are crooked. And Gordon just says, it's because of Bruce Wayne. And this shocks Batman. He's like, what? You know, ever since Wayne came back, uh, things have started happening. Like, he wants to help the city. And he tells him the story of when he first met Bruce back in issue number 26, I believe, either 26 or 25. 
where him, Gordon, and his partner stop by the store, and then Bruce sees him, comes back with a coat. And he's like, oh, why'd you get that? And Gordon tells him, oh, it's because we're helping the city and they appreciate us, so he gave me this coat. Even though, really, it's just being bribed <laughs> because the cops are crooked. But Gordon says, you think he's, well, Gordon knew it was all a bribe, and that's why he got it. He was kind of fooling himself, like trying to make him believe, yeah, that's why they're really doing it. But when he said that to Bruce and saw the innocence in Bruce's eyes, he's all like, yeah, what am I doing? What are we doing as police officers? This is wrong. And so he says, I know this is wrong, but I have to see it for myself. Is my partner really shady, and why are we getting these bribes? So we see him go into that store, and then we see what's really going on, where his partner is involved in these like illegal dog fights. Gorda starts calling him out on it, saying he's going to arrest them, but then his partner, being as crooked as he is and pretty much an evil guy, sends out those dogs to attack Gordon, and Gordon decides to fight him to a point where, in order to survive, he has to shoot down the dogs, which, of course, he didn't want to do. But then he goes to arrest his partner, like, points the gun straight at his head. It's like, saying, like, you know, I was this close to, like, shooting this gun at you. But then the his partner was all saying, like, you know, the typical story where Gordon's the only cop, that's good. And this Gordon's like, you know, like, what can you do? You're just one guy. And if he's going to stop us, just think of, like, your family, your son, your daughter. We know where you live and all that. And if you do anything to disrupt this, we're going to harm them. So Gordon says that. Like, he even says, too, where... Just as a reminder, like the next day, I got a gift from the police department. It was a small uh, pit bull dog. Just as a reminder to let them know that, yeah, we we're watching you. <laughs> but then Gordon, this is the best part, where Gordon says, after that whole attack he had, he says, I'm going to go down and just walk my beat as I should, just do a job of a police officer. And so as he was walking down, all beat up from that attack he had by those dogs, he hears two gunshots. And that's, of course, his Martha and Thomas Wayne being shot and he can't believe that it's Bruce Wayne, the same boy he talked to earlier that day. He's like, I just can't face him. Not after what I told him, like the lie that I told him, and then seeing how he is now. He lost his parents. I just couldn't face him that way. And he says he kept that coat that he got as a bribe as a reminder for like how crooked and Gotham is it and how he can't be that way. So I just love that whole point of Gordon kind of explaining what he did, what he did, to, or why Bruce thinks that he was crooked, but he really isn't. And then it looks like that point came across to Bruce, but he's not going to admit it. He just takes off on the boat. He just tells him, stop the boat, and he gets off. Well, not even saying a word to Gordon, but you kind of know that. It's thinking into him that Gordon is a good cop and someone he can trust. So I was a little skeptical at the beginning when I first heard the reason why Bruce didn't trust him, but it kind of all works together now after Gordon explained what happened. And it's making for an interesting story with him, so i all aboard on this version now. <laughs> I thought it worked for the most part. <laughs> But then the second best moment of this issue is we got another great Alfred and Bruce moment. I think if I'm going to remember anything from Zero Year, it'll probably be the interaction that Bruce and Alfred had because they had some great stuff. And this is another great one here where um, Alfred is telling uh, Bruce why he thinks he's going out as Batman. He's, he says, I'm going to try to read it word for word or remember it because I'm trying to grab the comic right now. He says, um, you're not doing this because you think Gordon is crooked or you're mad at me because I used to turn you in when you were little whenever you got into mischief. He's like, you're angry with us. You're doing. You're being Batman because you want to punish us because nobody was there for you when your parents died. Commissioner Gordon wasn't there. I wasn't there by your side. And now Bruce kind of calls him out. It's like, how would this be punishing you? And Alfred's all, well, you're making us bear witness to this. You ask me why you keep me here. I believe it's not to watch over you, but to watch you. Watch you do what I couldn't, which pretty much helped people who weren't there to 
help him. So I thought that was an interesting take to it. It was just a whole different perspective where Bruce is being Batman because in his, I'm sure it's not thinking it, but in the back of his mind, this is part of the reason. There was nobody there for me, and I'm going to make you guys watch what you should have done in some weird way. <laughs> I mean, it does make sense in a crazy way where, yeah, maybe Batman doesn't think so, but in a way it kind of is punishing Alfred and them by making them realize that, that they couldn't do what he's doing now. So I thought that was a great take on it. And then the issue ends with finally we're getting the Riddler be revealed as the big villain. And Batman discovers uh, some plans who uh, were, it was Dr. Death who was chasing. But they didn't say what happened to him, but it looks like he's going to be out of the picture for a little bit because it ended up he was just the Riddler's henchman, stealing this formula for the Riddler to make his, like, doomsday machine, which looks like we're going to be seeing the effects of what happened in the very first part of Zero Year, where we see, like, the flooded subway station and Gotham City is almost like a jungle. And so, because the issue ends with Batman getting... Uh, the room that he was in for the Riddler's hideout is getting flooded, and this issue ends with Batman's glove just hanging out. So looks like we're heading into that part of Zero Year. I'm just glad following as the Riddler's making an appearance because he hasn't been in the last few issues, and was expecting this story to be really focused on the Riddler. So just glad he's finally gonna be in it in a big way now. But uh, like I said, the heart of this issue were the Gordon and Alfred moments, which I love. And I just thought it added a great new dynamic to Bruce Wayne's story and his development into Batman. So I'm going to give this issue four and a half out of five uh, news and rumor scoops that ended up being false when officially announced. And I, as I was following along with you, I noticed uh, at the bottom that says next, a glimpse into the future of Batman Eternal. So if I read the solicitation right, uh, issue 28 is not uh, the continuation of the Zero Year. It's yeah. going to be a preview of Batman Eternal. So for anybody that's curious, we're going to get the uh, first look at Batman Eternal. Yeah, that goes with that whole preview image we got of that new Nightwing, maybe, or that Har- where everyone thinks it's Harper Row and that new outfit. Yeah. And I guess we'll finally get an answer to that. But you know what? I forgot to mention, too. <laughs> Hopefully you read the issue before you heard my review, because I definitely spoiled the heck out of it. <laughs> and just like this issue, we're going to be spoiling all the other comics we talk about. So better late than never, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Rob, you want to go ahead and continue on with Batman and Two-Face number 27? Um, I was going to let you take uh, the uh, reins on this one. Okay. I just figured since I went on and on about Batman, <laughs> you might want to take over, but I'll go ahead and start. Uh, only just because I don't have the comic in front of me. Uh, the truth comes out. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Sorry, I blew your cover. Ah. Yeah, this whole storyline with Two-Face, I think I'm doing a complete 180 on it, because the first two issues, I really wasn't too excited over it. I mean, I didn't like the origin they were doing with Two-Face, the new reason why he became Two-Face. But as each issue comes out, I'm kind of liking it more and more. I think it's because it's just the way Tomas has been telling the story. Each issue gives us one small portion of Two-Face or Harvey's background. And I think it would be told, it'd work better if it was told in a more linear way, where we kind of see it happen in the exact timeline that it did all in one big, long story. But when you piece it all together, it's becoming a good story. And this issue, it kind of continues where it's that typical, like, Batman team-ups with the villains reluctantly, but I kind of like those stories and this, mm-hmm. the interactions that Batman has with Two-Face, and even the against Aaron McClellan, I believe her mm-hmm. name is. I always forget her last name, but I know her first name's Aaron. So, like, Two-Face and her hate each other. Two-Face doesn't like Batman. She doesn't like Batman, but Bruce and her used to be friends, so you kind of got this weird relationship between all these characters 
they don't even know it yet, but they're all working together trying to get away from um, the Collins mob who uh, were called in by her cousin before he got killed. Because Two-Face was just about to kill her, but they showed up and stopped him from doing that. So now the three of them are on the run. And we get more flashbacks into Harvey's uh, life before he became Two-Face. And we kind of find out, too, that before he was a district attorney, he was a defense attorney for criminals. And part of that was being the attorney for uh, the McClellan sisters. And they pretty much had him wrapped around his finger where they were making him do what they wanted to, and they even tried to kill Gordon and his family. And that kind of what turns the tide on Harvey to go against them. And then, like, Bruce has a meeting with him to kind of talk him into becoming the district attorney and to put away the McClellan sisters, which ends up happening. And as we know from previous issues, that's what causes them to hate him, what causes them to kill Gilded Den, make him two-faced. So it's all coming together nicely, finally, that we're getting these pieces filled in. So... I did like that, and just the whole, like I said earlier, dynamic between Batman working with the villains. And it does turn out where Two-Face does get captured by that mob gang, and now Batman and Aaron are going to have to, look like, go save him. From, looks like they're going to broadcast his death on TV. That's where the issue's in. So I enjoyed this issue. The storyline's getting better and better for me. So I'm going to go ahead and give this one three and a half out of five uh, news and rumor stories that ended up being false when officially announced. I've I've really liked this uh, Two-Face run. Uh, after we got through the end of the five stages of grief, I was kind of uh, concerned if this book was going to get canceled and want to see it's... Uh, it's it almost feels like it's going to be kind of like Batman Brave and the Bold yeah. uh, at some point, because I think after this we have Batman and Aquaman, so that's going to be weird to be reviewing a book where we're talking about Batman and Aquaman. <laughs> Somebody it's really else. As funny as Brave and the Bold, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just for the heck of it, Peter Mossy said to have Aquaman say outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I, I think during our stuff we'll just have to go outrageous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like uh, this. Now, I'm trying to remember... If if I'm if I'm thinking this, or if it was in the previous issue, that I want to say one of the McClellan sisters switched each other, that they're not who they say they are. I think Sharon is the one that is supposedly have died, and Aaron is still alive. But I wonder yeah. if the reveal is going to be that they switched, or if they made that. Uh, Maybe it could be uh, right. <laughs> That's what I think the twist is going to be, that it's, it's, she's not who she says she is because, you know, she's a twin, which I think plays very well with two, Two-Face's uh, duality. Um, I, I, I still think that Tomasi is firing on all cylinders. This has been a very, very consistent book. And I didn't know how it was going to be doing after Damien's death, but I've, I've really, really enjoyed uh, this Two-Face run. And uh, I'm going to give it uh, four out of five uh, news that uh, sites were reporting as uh, fact, only to find out that everything they were reporting is false in the regards of Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many other things in the future. Yes. Uh, I kind of wish, too, that once the series is all done, maybe I'll just do it myself, kind of read it like I was saying in the linear fashion that tells the story of Harvey Dent uh, and the timeline that it takes place in, just because I want to compare it as – how where it stacks up with the different Harvey Dent origin stories, because there's a few of them now, and right now my favorite is probably The Dark Knight, but then, like I said, this one's growing on me, so when it's all said and done, I want to read it again and see where it stacks up. Uh, something I did like in this that 
you know, she had burnt Harvey's face by pouring the acid, which I think was just really horrifying that he's got the same vile acid and that he's going to do the same thing to her. And now she's got a, a scar from, you know, uh, the acid because of all the commotion that was going on. And, uh, I just liked the, uh, a, a really cool Batman move where he's down in the grave and like files the grapnel and grabs Aaron and Harvey and they're flying up yeah. <laughs> right off. I thought that was just, that was probably my favorite panel out of the book. I think one of the things that might hold it back from being a really good Harvey Dent Orton story was that Batman so far anyway, hasn't been involved in his transformation for two phase. Yeah. That's why I love about the dark Knight so much. Like he really had a reason to hate Batman and Gordon because they made the choice <laughs> to go say, or Batman made the choice to save Rachel instead. But, because the Joker tricked him, he ended up saving Harvey, and that gave him real reason to hate him. And even in the original comic story where Batman pushes away in the courtroom from the acid, and in the Batman the Animated Series, Batman pushes the gunner away what makes him shoot the electrical wires that blow up in the chemicals. So Batman's involved some way in his transformation, except yeah. in this one. In those two that you mentioned, that uh, Harvey and Batman were uh, friends of some type. In the Animated Series, they were you know really close friends, and then... In the Dark Knight, they were acquaintances that kind of saw where each other were. But uh, in this, it's uh, Batman's almost removed from the situation. He's he's just there because now this good guy has gone bad. So yeah, exactly. So that takes a little bit away from me. But like I said, we'll see where it all ends up when it's done. But for that week of January 22nd, that's it for those two. So we'll move on to January 29th where we got the Batman and Robin annual. Like I said before, unfortunately I wasn't able to get my comics this week, so I didn't read that one either, but I'm hearing great things about it, so Rob, tell me what I'm missing. Uh, you should pause the podcast right now. <laughs> pause the recording. It, this was so good. Uh, annuals in the past, uh, before the new 52, I mean, I I was never an Elseworld story type of person, so um, I was like, eh, you know, Eno's was always that spot it was to kind of take a break from the story and just kind of branch out and do something a little crazy or, you know, uh, tell a, a different type of story, and that's kind of what this is doing. It's still set in the current continuity, uh, but... Uh, the last annual that we had, issue number one, of having that uh, wonderful Damien issue where he's sending Bruce all around the world and, you know, showing how much he cares about his dad. And then getting this one, uh, two great annuals, I would say back-to-back, but as far as annuals uh, go, this is this is really, really good. And in like one of our letters, this is as much as I like uh, Kyle Higgins writing Nightwing, uh, I think this is the cream of the crop for writing uh, Dick Grayson. Uh, in the new 52, all, all all those beats that you like about Dick Grayson and Nightwing are, are captured in this book. Uh, it starts out, it's, it says it's uh, several months ago, obviously before Damien's death, and you have uh, Nightwing and Robin, Dick and Damien's, uh, on top of a roof, and they're uh, discussing uh, Dick's first outing as Robin and, you know, Dick's or uh, Damien's kind of going, oh great, Grayson, you're you're telling me about you know how you became Robin, and uh, Damien has a great line in here. He said, "You may have invented Robin, but I improved on it." So <laughs> I just thought that was really cool. And typical there's a yeah, typical Damien. And as Dick's telling the story, there's a, a cool little panel of uh, Damien eating candy, and he's like flipping it with his thumb into his mouth, and just has this look of like yawn, whatever, and. Uh, 
it goes into uh, kind of like current continuity where uh, Bruce is going through uh, Wayne Manor in the very room where that portrait was being done, and Bruce is uh, ruffling through the uh, uh, top of the uh, roof and finds a, a box that says, The Robin Cave, No Bats or Butlers Allowed, and then, uh, <laughs> which I thought was really kind of cool. So uh, Bruce tells Alfred to go out and, you know, go get. Uh, uh, Dick, he's going to want to see this, and uh, Dick says, you know, what's all the commotion? You know, I brought my Nightwing costume, I've got it underneath my clothes, and uh, he's like, but we're in the living room, we're not in the cave, and uh, Bruce uh, tosses a package to Dick and says, you know, here's something for us to uh, look at. He hasn't opened it, and it's uh, basically uh, the continuation of the Dick's uh, origin story is or his first major outing other than the lady Shiva uh, outing that he had before where he's going up against one of his first uh, major uh, uh, fights and uh, Bruce says you know well what'd you tell Damon he's like well I'll tell you everything uh, word for word and uh, the splash page I don't know if you've seen this of uh, Batman and Robin <coughs> excuse me Batman and Robin it's a it, this is the next poster I want on my wall. It's just a, a beautiful shot of uh, Batman and Robin. But uh, you see Dick in uh, high school, and uh, he's telling Bruce, you know, he's just – this is the moment. As soon as he gets out of school, is he gets to go be Robin, and there's wonderful uh, dialogue balloons. And the dialogue balloons actually say something, something, blah, 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 churn, 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 something, something, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That this is all that Dick is hearing in each one of his classes. You like you see English, history, phys ed, math, even a girl that he's sitting across from, and in every one of those uh, word balloons is just something blah blah blah. That's what's written, which is kind of funny, but he's not even paying attention. Yeah, he sees him zipping out of uh, the school and uh, hops in the car and is telling Alfred, "This is it. This is the thing I've been waiting for." Bruce is finally gonna let me go out. And you see in the Batcave that uh, Dick is wearing a version of his Haley Circus costume. Uh, he's got, like, a, a mask on, and it's all in blue. And Bruce says, what happened to your, you know, your regular costume that you, you, you wore? Like, basically saying, you already committed to the outfit that you've made. And he's like, well, I like this one. It keeps in with what my family is and says, no, you committed to this. This is what you're going to do. And he's like, fine, <laughs> you know. And Bruce is giving him a lecture. Now he's in his Robin costume and says, okay, repeat it again. And Dick's like, I know. Keep 100 feet away from the scene. Don't be seen. Don't be heard. I'm here just for backup. And Bruce is like, and what happens with the backup? Backup doesn't get called. <laughs> You'll take care of it. <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, going uh, down to the docks and Batman's fighting everything. And uh, Dick's kind of sitting on a, on a, uh, a semi-truck trailer and just kind of looking at Batman and going, this sucks because he's watching him fight, but he's 100 feet away. But Dick sees uh, somebody that Batman had uh, beat down, gets back up and is coming up behind Batman, and this is uh, Dick's chance to hop off the trailer and take one and uh, has a cocky little uh, quip and says, hey, look, boss, you missed one. And Batman instantly lashes out to uh, Robin and says, what did I tell you? I told you to stay 100 feet away. I had this under control tells him to get in the car, they go back to the Batcave, and he looks at Robin and says, get out, you're fired, you're done, that's it. <laughs> and, you know, Dick's trying to profusely to apologize, saying, you oh, know, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. And uh, 
Alfred and Dick have this really good conversation about, you know, you know, I, I messed up, I screwed up, and Alfred is saying, you know, look, I, I got the word from Bruce, you know, you're done, that's it, you're going back to school. And uh, next morning, or the next evening that Batman's going back out, Dick's suited up, and Bruce is basically telling him, what did I tell you? You know, you're done, that's it. And tells him to go back up and study. Well, it's really kind of funny because he's in his room in his Nightwing costume, or in his Robin costume. He's like, well, screw it, I'm going back out. And uh, he right before Batman heads out, he's like, well, if I don't go with you, then I'm not, you can't know what the uh, uh, thug told me and Batman's like, well, I'll figure it out on my own. So Dick takes it upon himself to go out, track down the gang, and this gang that he was telling Damien about, there's this villain called Tusk. And uh, so uh, Robin thinks that he can get this information, he can take down Tusk before Batman uh, can find out, and uh, he gets himself in, in over his head, and Tusk has got him. Uh, by the throat and is basically saying, I don't know who you are, but uh, I'm going to take out one of the newest uh, heroes of Gotham. And Tusk looks like almost like a half elephant, half uh, goat or something like that. Really big, kind of like Incredible Hulk. But uh, so in typical uh, 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 fashion, you know, Batman comes to save the day and says, you know, uh, this guy's with me, referring to uh, Robin and Batman. Robin proceeded to take Tusk down. But Robin and uh, Batman get knocked out, get taken up into a helicopter, and Tusk is going to uh, drown them in the Gotham River. And uh, Batman is still unconscious, but uh, they've left uh, uh, Robin basically awake to see, you know, what, we're going to show you what we're going to do to your dad. And <laughs> Robin really quick is like, oh, this isn't my dad, you know. <laughs> this is just the guy that I work with. And, uh, uh, he's, you know, Robin's like, well, you're not going to, you know, throw me out of the plane or the helicopter, and I'm going to do it. So he jumps out of the helicopter, does, like, probably a somersault that he would do in uh, Haley Circus, and is able to get out of the uh, ropes that are tied behind his back, swing underneath the helicopter, come right back on the other side, and knock uh, Tusk out. And uh, Batman and Robin are able to uh, apprehend Tusk and uh, take him into, uh, I would imagine, Arkham Asylum. And Dick is telling Bruce and, you know, Damien through this whole thing that, you know, Batman always had his rogues that he always fought, but he always felt like he was connected to Tusk. And after one of the last times that they took Tusk in, uh, Tusk just disappeared after he broke out and he was never heard from or seen from again. And uh, Dick even makes a comment that he had uh, knocked one of Tusk's, like, Tusk, ivory tusks out of his mouth and, uh, was a piece of evidence that was missing, and inside the box is the tusk, and it says from one robin to another, you can now close uh, the uh, case on tusk. I found the missing piece that you couldn't find, Grayson. So it was just, it was a really, really good issue, um, and it was totally worth the four ninety nine price, the the five dollars. Um, uh, Tomasi just wrote a, a fantastic issue, and uh, just the one liners that he has, and the uh, the next poster that I'd like to <laughs> throw up on my wall is the last uh, page of the book of Batman, Nightwing, and Damien. It says, uh, winner and still champions, and it's the three of them, like, swinging out over the city. So I know that was a, kind of a lengthy uh, synopsis there, but it's uh, with it being an annual, they're pretty thick. And I, I absolutely love this one. So I'm going to give it a five out of five uh, media 
tidbits that sites like to put up that end up turning out to be false. That's a great issue. Yeah, it's not really good just by hearing you tell it. It reminded me a little bit of that animated series episode, Old Wounds. Talked about yes. Dick was telling Tim about how he ended his career at Robin, but this one he tells Damien how it started. So, yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool parallel. It just it, some really cool uh, moments, even it, with uh, Bruce and Dick at the uh, end. They kind of like uh, have like a toast with uh, Alfred, Dick, and uh, Bruce. And they said, Dick says, like, here's to Damien. But just the, uh, I'll, uh, I want to read this little portion here. It says, Gotham's little life's never seen. This is a Nightwing uh, talking. It says, Gotham's little life never seemed to uh, have it in for me like they do for you. But I lost count of the. Uh, times that Tusk always reverted back to me over the years, kind of like, you know, Tusk was his villain, which I've seen some people say, you know, that they just do this arbitrary villain in here that, you know, why wasn't it Penguin or Riddler or somebody else like that? But, you know, I, I saw the, the threat in Tusk, and it'd be kind of cool to see this become a new a new villain in the new 52. So I think that just adds another layer to Dick Grayson's uh, character. And it, it really makes me want a... Dick Grayson, you know, Robin book to be out there. It almost makes me wish that maybe they would have started the new 52 with, you know, zero year and worked their way up and you would get into, you know, Dick Grayson again. So, yeah, because back to that whole this debate discussion we had when the new 52 first started, like if there really is a reboot, why don't they just start as a reboot, like Dick Grayson, Robin and all that, and then work their way up. But it's like they're trying to do the one thing at one time and one thing at like the, the total opposite at the same time too, where they want the characters where they were at before the Nintendo Two at the same time started something brand new. So it's like uh, kind of don't want. They're hoping for both the best of both worlds, but it doesn't really work that way when you see good stories that tell the past of what a new story with Dick Grayson as Robin, or for instance, or even maybe we'll get some in the future with Jason Todd or Tim Drake. Now that after hearing how great this one was, and this even in the emails we got today, how they're wondering if there will be stories later on that tell, like, the first outing of Tim Drake as Robin, or Red Robin now, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Jason Todd as Robin, so yeah, like you said, this makes you think, what if they fully did go on full-on reboot where the first Batman, number one, Detective Comics number one, where Jake was Robin, and then we, they worked their way up. But <laughs> you can only wonder now. Yeah, I, again, I, I can't say enough good things about this issue. It was Again, like as much as I liked uh, Kyle Huggins writing uh, Nightwing and Dick Grayson, I think uh, Tomasi just uh, nailed it. And uh, it was uh, uh, Pat Gleason did part of the pencils in this. It looks like it was kind of broken up over four people. I imagine with the size of it, um, but it's it's pretty seamless throughout uh, the uh, the issue. Uh, and some of it even looks like it could be in a Kyle Higgins story too from. Uh, I'm trying to think. Eddie Barrows uh, looks like he could have done. He he's not credited in the book, but it kind of has that feel in some panels too. Yeah, I mean, just off your review in front of the people I've heard on. Definitely have to get it sooner rather than later. Now, yeah, <laughs> hopefully maybe by tomorrow. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but that's gonna do it for this episode's comic book reviews. Like overall, we got three great issues. So <laughs> definitely one that everybody should check out if you haven't already. But with that, that's gonna end our episode. Also, so don't forget to check out our sponsor, uh, Tweak Audio for um, any headphones, and you can head on over to their site at tweakedaudio.com. And when you place your order before you check out, no matter what the amount is, just enter the promo code TBUSAVES, and you'll receive 33% off your entire order, as well as free worldwide shipping. You can also check out a banner for tweakedaudio.com on the Batman Universe main page, so be sure to check them out. And you can find the Batman Universe at thebatmanuniverse.net. 
also at Facebook at facebook.com slash the Batman Universe and Twitter at Batman Universe. And if you want, you can follow each of us on Twitter. I'm at TimG311. Rob, you're at DrummerRob10. And Dane is at Dane Says Banana, where you can check his two tweets <laughs> that he's posted so far. <laughs> and if you're listening to us on iTunes, be sure to give us a review there. We'd much appreciate it. And I hope we still get that goal to 10. <laughs> We're not having this big old goal to get us to 50 reviews, but just a nice round number at 10. <laughs> so that would be much appreciated. And then also, if you have any emails to send us, like Alex and Corbin did today, on any topic, uh, you can go and send an email to batfans27 at gmail.com. And also be sure to check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash batfanspodcast. So with that, I think that's going to do it for episode 49. Episode 50 is our next one. <laughs> so part of me can't believe we made it to 50. <laughs> and then after 50, who knows when we're going to get to 100, but that's going to be the next big milestone. <laughs> It'll be our golden anniversary. Yes. We're all going to wear gold. <laughs> <laughs> A gold suit, some gold jewelry. <laughs> but until episode number 50, uh, that's it for this one. So we'll see you next time, everyone. See ya. All right, cool. I'm rereading like, the outro notes I have because I don't know for some reason I thought I forgot something, but I don't think I did. <laughs> no, I'm spot on. No, maybe it's because it went too smoothly. <laughs> yeah. There's usually some mess up or something. Yeah, the, yeah, the doing everything, but I think I made it through all one shot. You know, first. <laughs> I think for our favorite one, you think so that's not about maybe the video one. Okay. And uh, I know you had these very similar video podcasts. Do you think the best way to do it?